0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, January 22nd. I'm Virginia Allen. Biologist Colin Wright is publicly inviting the Southern Poverty Law Center to debate him on the subject of what the SPLC calls anti-LGBTQ plus pseudoscience. The SPLC released a 41,000-word report claiming that the controversy over trans health care is manufactured to reinforce both white supremacy and the political goals of the Christian right. Well, <laughs> Mr. Wright disagrees and wants to have a conversation with the SPLC on the topic. The Daily Signal's Tyler O'Neill is sitting down with Wright today to discuss what exactly the so-called anti-LGBTQ pseudoscience is and what a debate on the topic would entail. Stay tuned for Tyler's conversation with biologist Colin Wright after this. Hi,
1: I'm Giancarlo Conoparo. And I'm Zach Smith. And we host SCOTUS 101. It's a podcast where you'll get a breakdown of top cases in the highest court in the land. Hear from some of the greatest legal minds. And of course, get a healthy dose of Supreme Court trivia. Want to listen? Find us wherever you get your podcasts or just head to heritage.org
0: slash podcasts.
1: This is Tyler O'Neill, Managing Editor at The Daily Signal. I am honored to be joined by Colin Wright, biology PhD and fellow at the Manhattan Institute, author at Reality's Last Stand, very impactful substack, a very important voice in the gender critical supporting of biology movement. Uh, Colin, it's great
2: to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm Happy to be here and at the at the conference we have going on.
1: Yeah. So you spoke earlier today about what we know biologically and why it conflicts with the gender ideology narrative. Would you, you know, just summarize that briefly and talk about your own personal experience as, you know, a PhD student and then in academia facing the headwinds on this movement?
2: Yeah, so I, as, as you mentioned, I, I was just a normal academic, I guess, as you would say. I'm a biologist. I was, was studying social behavior in uh, social insects and arachnid societies. That's what my main area of study was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was only until uh, maybe around 2016 when I first started hearing my colleagues, and they are sharing articles on Facebook, um, making weird claims about the biology of sex. And by sex, I'm talking about this, the existence of males and females. Uh, not like, you know, sexual selection or anything like that. Uh, they would just share articles about there being five sexes or that sex is a social construct or that sex is a spectrum or, you know, any number of sexes besides two. And I initially started pushing back against this stuff as a scientist would, it- saying that, oh, this is just purely incorrect and here's here's what sex actually is, here's why there's only two, this is a universal across uh, every single, you know, uh, sexually reproducing uh, species. And that the response I was getting back was very, non-scientific it's very anti-scientific it was you're a bigot you're uh, you know even a racist they would call me for for making these arguments um <laughs> that's ironic yeah and and so uh i initially it was just really flabbergasting to see this type of response from my colleagues uh and then when i looked sort of more under the hood because at first i was just coming from pure like i'm just a biologist talking about biology uh what is motivating this this position they have because it's clearly not scientific otherwise they would just be giving me scientific arguments and then you you know, there's this whole political apparatus behind it there's concerted movement by activists coming from you know various humanities disciplines like queer theory that are trying to just sort of muddy the waters about what males and females are um and it's it's difficult to address just you know using uh just trying to engage with them because they're they're doing a political project i'm doing sort of a scientific truth finding uh project here and so that's what what kind of started me down this path and then once i looked at to see well you know it's not just that people are wrong about biology but there's major consequences not just for individuals, but for sci- society as a whole, when you're denying fundamental aspects of our biology. I mean, I used to argue against creationists and intelligent design proponents back in the day as an evolutionary biologist, because I think evolution is a very important part of our who we are as a species, as individuals. And so you can't deny fundamental truths without paying a large cost. And we're seeing this in, you know, uh, most specifically and most horrifically, I think, in what we call gender affirming care medicine, where it's this idea that sex isn't any one thing, that sex is a spectrum that a sex is uh, something that exists on multiple levels and that your brain sex can be out of sync with your physical sex and this can be cured by giving you hormones and surgeries to make your you know your body sex align with your mind sex and you know to me this is just wildly regressive and anti-scientific and horrific grotesque any other word you want to throw at it and so this is sort of what i've been focusing on because uh, it's incredibly important no one else is really talking about this to the same degree uh and i'm just hoping we can restore some sanity in this debate and just you know focus on what's true because that's that needs to be your guiding principle even if you care about social justice or whatever like you can't be just unless what you're doing is is first true (laughs) uh and so that's what i'm that's kind of my my approach to things right now
1: yeah i saw i think i saw a journal article where in a scientific journal where a researcher described someone talking about their you know gender affirming care as a form of art uh which i really thought kind of hit the nail on the head with what some of this actually is
2: yeah that's the so this this idea of gender affirming care you know they're, they're coming at it and saying that this is life-saving care that this they need to have this otherwise they'll commit suicide but then when they ask kids or adults you know about gender affirming care and what they'd like to have done it is really just whatever th- that they want to do cosmetically and there's cases where you start you know saying you have j- dysphoria and they just give you this this huge list of things you can have body contouring you can have your breast removed you can have implants put in there you can you know it it's just anything you want to do. They, they put the patient not in the driver's seat not only to just self-diagnose into this condition called uh, gender dysphoria, but then they're in total control over any procedure that they have to modify their bodies. You know, I think people, if they're adults, should be able to pursue body modification surgeries. You know, this is something that a lot of people do. This is, you know, uh, voluntary cosmetic surgery. I think that's most people are okay with adults having cosmetic surgery. But the thing that makes the gender-affirming care so bad is that this is covered by by insurance as though it's life-saving and it's it's clearly not. There's there's not any good evidence to suggest that people are committing suicide in concerning numbers if they're not given full access to any body modification surgery that they would like.
1: When you talk about the anti-biology aspects of this, you know, you define sex. I remember when I was a kid, they always taught us XXXY and that was essentially the end of what they said. And I think it's, it's more complicated than that, but it's also very simple and this movement is denying
2: it. Yeah, it's what we learned in school is mostly correct but there are some nuances that are important to just keep track of Uh, so one important thing to keep track of is this distinction between how sex is determined versus how sex is defined so a lot of biologists mix this up too I argue with them daily Um, well they'll say that well we all know that sex is determined by chromosomes or sometimes they'll use that as you know uh, a way to say that you know people commonly say that sex is determined by chromosomes but that's not true it has it's determined by all these other different factors together so the main issue here is that when biologists talk about how sex is determined we're using the word determined uh in the way that a developmental biologist would talk about it which is how you know when we say a tissue is determined it's about how a tissue is sort of put on a trajectory to develop into a certain appendage or organ things like that so when we talk about how sex is determined what we're saying is there's a bunch of different organisms and some of them determine sex by things like chromosomes where the genes on your chromosomes cause an embryo to develop down a pathway that leads to being males or females uh some other organisms like alligators and other reptiles they don't use sex chromosomes they use temperature and the temperature that they're incubated at is what caused them to develop into males or females these are what we call sex determination mechanisms these are the upstream causes of one's sex um it's not to be confused with how sex is defined. So how sex is defined is based on the type of gamete, either sperm or ova, that an organism's uh, reproductive system is organized around to produce, essentially. Uh, And that is the universal definition. This applies to humans and alligators and birds and uh, any other organism that reproduces uh, by fusing two different gametes. Um, So they they try to confuse people by saying, well, sex is determined by chromosomes. Uh, Well, that's true. It's not defined by chromosomes. And so that's a really important distinction to make. Uh, You know, the mechanisms versus sex itself
1: yeah and when it comes to the movement it's interesting I think when you talk about the development of gametes you know small gametes sperm male large gametes eggs female generally you know it's almost like the transgender movement if they were to successfully transplant working set of you know gonads to produce gametes into another person would that be a a full change of sex or would that not
2: (laughs) I would would maybe put an asterisk by that person because I guess (laughs) functionally speaking Like, they would be acting as a male organism if you could... You know transplant like a full male reproductive system on a female um but generally in, in biology when we talk about you know what an organism is like you know you can't paint stripes on a lion and call it a tiger you know even though tigers have stripes you know it, we talk about you know the, their phenotype is already developed we've already seen what their genes produce you know in the combination of genes and their interaction with the environment um you know you have you know birds if it's like a red-throated or whatever just because you you know change the color of its red throat doesn't mean it's no longer a red-throated sparrow or something like that. You know, it's, its phenotype is already manifested. You will always be a male or a female, even if you lose your genitals in a horrific car accident, uh, if you have them removed and replaced with something else. Um, you know, it, it's, there's a whole other conversation about, like, the transhumanist, you know, transplants and what we can do in the future, and, you know, we can maybe put asterisks by someone saying that this is, you know, this person is functionally acting as a male now because they've had this transplanted system, but, you know, from a purely biological point of view, this their sex hasn't changed, even if, say, that they've had a sort of a whole interesting sex transplant going for them. Uh, but that's a whole other thing. We, we'll we we'll deal with that when we get there. For for now, there's that is not something we're capable of doing, and it, we're probably pretty far away from that.
1: Yeah, and I want to get more into your personal story, you know, having gotten your PhD in biology, and then, you know, are you looking to get back into academia? Or do you think that's really difficult, mostly unlikely because of the ideological push that we've seen on this issue?
2: I think that ship has sailed for me, being in academia. Um, You know, I I would like to maybe, I'd be open to do some sort of teaching in a a university setting, probably not going back to studying spiders and wasps or anything like that. I mean
1: and pretty
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it is fascinating. I mean, it would be interesting to have some sort of lab dealing with sex differences and the biology of sex or something. You know, I'm not saying I'm completely closed off to the idea, but right now the stuff I'm doing is, um, I, I hesitate to call it activism because I'm just making <laughs> clear statements about the nature of biology. But I am, you know, doing expert testimony for court cases where you have activist groups trying to distort what it means to be male or female. Um, and I, I just think right now that is where I need to spend my time. I think it's most important uh, thing to be doing right now because there's so few people doing it changing one one sort of line of text and legislation is worth you know a thousand op-eds that I could be writing on this topic so in the future hopefully if we return to sanity uh, you know I'd, i could I could start teaching somewhere or doing or doing something else uh, or at least expand what I'm doing now but uh, currently no plans to get back into academia anytime soon
1: and the Southern Poverty Law Center an organization I wrote a book about has this new report out that they called the captain report it's some absurd acronym like countering and anti-scientific, pseudo-scientific narratives on transgenderism or whatever. And I believe they mentioned you, they've mentioned, you know, many of the prominent scientific critics of gender ideology. Have you responded to that report? What do you think of, you know, it seems to me like this is the SPLC leveraging its history as it often does to try to silence ideological opponents?
2: I haven't responded to it. I mean, I've, I've mentioned it on, on Twitter or X. Um, it's almost not really worth responding to. It is such a poorly put together document, I mean, riddled with typos, there's almost not even yes. a, a sentence or two you can go through without finding typos. It's it's really, really bad. And most importantly, it, it just makes all these accusations that, you know, I'm peddling pseudoscience, that type of thing. It doesn't engage with any of the actual arguments in the substance of what I'm saying or anyone else mentioned in the report is saying. Um, there's there's not really anything to respond to. It's, it's purely just a smear piece. Um, and I just think giving it any attention is, you know, that's kind of what they want. They just want to garner attention and... And stir outrage because they're clearly shopping for for donations uh, at some point here so uh, i just mostly ignore it i mocked it once on twitter just because it's it was completely ridiculous document um but if anyone from the splc wants to actually have a conversation with me about anything that i've ever said on this topic um you know if you think i'm peddling pseudoscience expose me in front of a huge audience let's have a one-on-one conversation you're a moderator of your choice i'm just here to have a conversation about the biology of sex so let's let's have that conversation let's do it i'm 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 here to talk about it.
1: Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Colin. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, where can people follow you?
2: You can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at uh, swipe right. That's uh, swipe and then W R I G H T. I write for Substack, um, realitieslaststand.com. dot uh, com, and then you can you know find my writing in City Journal. It's run by the Manhattan Institute, the Wall Street Journal, um, and, and other places. I did a lot of do a lot of podcasts as well. So I think if you Google me, you'll be able to. To find a lot of my work. Thanks again. Thank you.
0: And that's going to do it for today's episode. But a quick announcement before we let you go we will not have a top news edition today, Monday. The entire Daily Signal team is in an all day meeting today discussing strategy for how we can make the Daily Signal even better and bring you even more great content. But we will be back with you for top news tomorrow on Tuesday. And of course, We will be back with another interview edition tomorrow, Tuesday morning. If you have not had the chance in the meantime, take a minute to leave the Daily Signal a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. We love hearing your feedback, and it's really helpful for us as we continue to move forward and bring you content that you love. Thanks again for being with us today. We'll see you right back here tomorrow morning.